Green Eggs and Horror content warning. Stories may contain adult language, adult situations, violence, and awesome. If you can't handle any of these things I just listed, I'd turn it off now. Good. Now it's just us. I'm Pete Nixon, and this is Green Eggs and Horror. Well, now you've done it. You've pushed the wrong button. We've got more of Morton Hears a Cthulhu. Written, read, and scored by Davin Creed. Now here's the third and final part of Morton Hears a Cthulhu. Morton Hears a Cthulhu, part three. Written and read by Davin Creed. A letter arrived in the mail, addressed to Dr. Hatefield. Morton wasn't used to his name getting misspelled, but ignored it. He opened it up and unfolded a short letter with a photograph inside of a triangular four-sided object with similar markings as a sphere. Hello, Dr. Hatefield. By chance and coincidence, it has come to my attention that you're seeking to find answers about an unknown artifact that you found while on an expedition in South America. It so happens that I too have come across an unexplainable artifact. We may be able to help each other by exchanging information. I've included a photograph of the artifact I found. If I'm correct in my assumption, then our artifacts are similar. Another similarity between our artifacts may be that so far, you're the only one who has been able to hear the voices coming from it. I'm hoping that we will be able to work together to clear our names. As a measure of good faith towards that goal, I'm providing instructions to discover something about the artifact that took me near a decade to figure out. It occurred to me that the voices I heard from my artifact cannot be heard by others the same way that dogs can hear frequencies that humans cannot. Towards that end, I blasted the artifact with sounds of varying frequencies. It's difficult to explain beyond it making the voices louder and clearer. The best I can do is tell you to blast it at close range with a speaker that emits a sound wave at 6.2 Hz. At least that is the frequency that works the best on my artifact. Please get back to me if you wish to collaborate on this. I think we can help one another. Dr. Albert Krieger, 1346 North 1st Avenue, apartment number 4, Vineland, New Jersey, 08360. With nothing to lose and himself getting nowhere on his own, Morton decided to try out the advice in the letter and set out to get some equipment from the hardware and electronics stores. He took out a speaker from his record player and set it up right next to the artifact. The device was relatively simple. The kit he got from the electronics store was for children, but he ran the wires to the larger speaker instead of the tiny one included in the kit. 
had the dial marked with the hertz points, which, if it was working correctly, should produce a sound at that hertz. He hooked up the battery that he had to buy separately because it didn't come with the kit. It was all set up, but he felt quite childish resorting to using a children's beginner set. However, he had no other ideas. He turned the device on, the dial set to around 14 hertz to see if it was working. He heard the low tone coming from the speaker and felt like it sounded to be around 14 hertz. Nothing happened. He slowly turned the dial down, the tone getting lower and lower until he could no longer hear it. He stopped turning the dial around 9 hertz. Still nothing. He could just barely hear the voices the same way he could always just barely hear the voices. He turned the dial to 8 hertz. Still no change. 7.5 hertz. He thought he could hear a change, but it wasn't enough to make him sure. He turned it to 7 hertz. Now he was pretty sure the voices were a bit louder. A change this small won't make much of a difference, he thought out loud. Then he turned it as close as he could to approximate 6.82 hertz on the dial. The voices came so clear and suddenly that it startled him off his stool. He stayed there on the floor listening. It was an unknown language, but there were many distinct voices. Some of them coming and going, always changing. Sometimes it sounded like they were having conversations with each other. He spent three days just listening to the voices, feeling a sense of accomplishment for the first time in months. Because it worked, and maybe also because he was the only other person who could understand what was going on, Morton replied to Dr. Geiger, detailing most of the few things he learned. They sent letters back and forth for a few months, trying to figure out some method that would objectively show that the artifacts weren't merely old relics, but some kind of communication or record-keeping devices used by long-dead civilizations. They excitedly speculated about the possibilities of ancient civilizations having better communication technology than the modern world about ancient humans with a deeper understanding of the universe, about what it all could mean about humanity both in the past and the present. It was one of these wild theories that got Morton thinking about using different wavelengths of light on the artifacts, much like the different wavelengths of audio worked on them. Morton first tried all the infrared wavelengths, which gave no sign of working, then microwaves, but the artifacts reacted with sending high-pitched sounds that caused pain. Then Morton went the other way, going to UV lights. The first attempts did nothing. It wasn't until a very specific wavelength that any reaction happened. But it was a very clear reaction. The glyphs on the sphere lit up in several different colors. Red, blue, yellow, green, orange. A whole rainbow of colors. Morton excitedly wrote Dr. Geiger of the exact wavelength and intensity that he used. Ran out to put the letter in his mailbox and hurried right back in to get back to testing it out. After turning the UV lamp back on, he took a close look at the glowing glyphs. He couldn't make sense of any of them, but the light seemed to hover just above the surface. He'd never seen anything like it. He'd never even heard of anything like it. When he pressed his finger through one of the floating glyphs, it flashed near white, and some of the other glyphs changed color. He started logging all the glyphs and the colors they would change when he pressed certain symbols. Something in the corner of his eye caught his attention. He looked up towards it and saw only his wall. There wasn't even anything on the wall except a fly. Ignoring the minor distraction, he went back to pressing the symbols. Not much time passed when again he saw movement out of the corner of his eye, which made him look up. The fly was just barely moving, but when Morton looked at it, it seemed to be farther away than the wall, as if it were beyond the wall but still visible. Looking still closer, squinting, Morton seemed to be able to see through the wall, and the thing was quickly getting larger. As it got closer, it started to look less like a fly and more like 
well, like nothing he'd ever seen, even compared to all the new insect species he saw in the Amazon. It kept getting larger and closer, coming right at him. It seemed to be about five houses away and looked to be roughly the size of a horse. He could now make out what seemed to be some kind of disgusting mix between an insect and a sea creature. The creature was divided in three sections like an ant, the top section barely looking like a head, a midsection with two arm-like things ending with pincers, and the biggest bottom section with four exoskeleton legs. Though the legs moved, the beast seemed to glide without the use of them. There were no wings, no way for Morton to determine its means of movement, and yet it was getting closer, heading right towards Morton. Closer and closer, Morton could feel his heart beating, but he was unable to do anything but stare through his wall at a monster that should be hidden behind it. It wasn't until the beast almost hit him that he was able to duck, just barely avoiding the collision. As if by instinct, he turned the UV lamp off and saw the creature evaporate. There was no doubt in Morton's mind that seeing the creature was linked to using the UV light on the artifact. He spent several weeks recording all the changes to the glyph collars and combinations he could, never getting another letter from Dr. Geiger. He wanted to share everything with someone, but he was too excited by his new progress to care. When he was studying the artifact with the UV light on, he saw many more beasts, most of them even more horrifying than the first. He found that the beasts didn't seem to be able to actually see him. They were just attracted to the artifact. He also discovered that they passed through him as easily as they passed through the walls, so they were of no real danger to him. The more he saw them, the more he got used to them. But even with his increased tolerance, he couldn't leave the UV lamp on for more than half an hour before needing a break from it all. The monsters were becoming more frequent and growing in numbers. A few times when he turned the UV lamp on, he was completely surrounded by hundreds of them. Morton found one combination that kept going as long as he kept hitting what he assumed were the correct keys. What he assumed were incorrect keys set all the glyph callers back to what he called the default. He kept working on the sequence, getting one glyph farther at a time. Several weeks of trial and error resulted in finding a 19-symbol sequence that made all the glyph callers turn a light blue. He chose one at random and pressed it. Nothing happened except the symbol colors all flashed white then went back to the default configuration. A loud scream from behind startled him. He fell to the floor, turning to see what it was. One of the smaller creatures was caught halfway inside his wall, struggling to get out and screaming like an angry baby. It was fish-shaped, much like a piranha with a vertical mouth filled with hundreds of sharp teeth. Instead of fins on its side, it had thin vine-like arms with two clawed fingers at the ends. One of its arms was stuck partway in the wall. The other was frantically clawing at the wall. Shaking and afraid, Morton crawled to his toolbox and fumbled through it for his hammer, spilling several random tools on the floor. Barely keeping a hold of the hammer, he crawled back towards the creature. Trying and failing several times to find his legs, he finally was able to get both feet under him. He raised the hammer up and then swung it down, hitting the creature. It screamed even louder and higher pitched, its free arm moving from clawing the wall to trying to claw Morton. He hit it again. This time a dark blue blood-like liquid sprayed from the creature as it screamed again. Another hit and the creature started moving slower. Then again and again and again and again. Even after it stopped moving, Morton kept hitting it until it was in several pieces. Surely this was something that other people could see, Morton said to himself as he dropped to the ground breathing heavily, covered in thick, dark blue blood. He got a bag, dug the thing out of the wall and bagged it and took it to his university. 
Hey, Morton, Dr. Allison Higgs said as Morton stepped into her lab. I thought you were on leave. Yeah, Morton responded, but I found something that I thought might interest you. He walked over and set the bag down on the lab table in front of her. How sweet. You brought me garbage, Allison said before opening the bag. Yeah, Morton responded. One man's treasure and all that. She was still easy to talk to. She laughed and smiled and stopped and said, What is this? I'm not sure. I was hoping you could tell me. Well, I've certainly never seen anything like it before. She trailed off while poking at the dead creature and began quietly talking to herself. Blue blood? Scales? Claws? After a few minutes, she looked up and asked, Where did you get this? I can't tell you that yet, Morton said. At least, not yet. Well, she responded, my first guess is that it's a hoax. If it weren't you bringing it to me, I would have left it at that. But if you're telling me this is real, then I'll take a close look for you and run some tests. Dr. Allison Higgs came through and ran every test imaginable on the dead creature. She was certain that it used to be a living creature, but with a different kind of blood than that of any insect or other kind of animal anyone had ever seen. That was all Morton needed to convince Dr. Weir and the school board to allow him to present a lecture on the device. Well, after he demonstrated how the device worked with a UV lamp on it. He wasn't really sure until then that anyone else could see anything, but they could see both the symbol colors as well as the creatures, which meant that he didn't have to go through the sequence and bring another beast as he planned to. The lecture was scheduled to take place in three weeks. He brought in the device to his lecture hall, set it up with the speaker and the UV lamp nearly two hours before it was scheduled to start. He looked through his papers, quickly scribbled some notes, and tested the speaker and the UV lamp to make sure everything still worked. The first attendee walked in about half an hour before the start time. Then one by one, more and more people came in, much more than he expected. For the last few minutes before the scheduled start, Morton pretended to look over notes while staring at his watch pretending not to notice the audience. He was more than a little anxious. This was different than lecturing students. Most of the attendees were esteemed professors. Finally, it was time, so Morton stood up and coughed, which brought the random chatter down slowly until it was dead quiet. While I was down in the Amazon, Morton began quietly with a shaky voice. He took a breath and continued with more confidence. I found this strange artifact. I took great pains to attempt to identify it, going to most of you experts who couldn't say for certain what it was. Does it still talk to you? One of the attendees near the back asked in a mocking tone, causing almost everyone to let out a short laugh. Well, Morton responded while many people started talking with each other. I prepared a statement, but it seems that my questionable credibility will require demonstration before I will be listened to. He turned to the artifact and switched the speaker on. The room once again fell silent except for the voices from the artifact. How do we know this isn't some trick? This could easily be done by any half-rate con artist, said another member of the audience. Along with audio frequency, Morton continued ignoring the cheer. I discovered that a lower wavelength of light could produce the same kind of effect, but with images. Morton flipped on the UV lamp, and the room was filled with gasps as the audience took in all the creatures that now swam around them. Some of the audience screamed and ducked as the beasts passed through them. How are you doing that? One man shouted, still leaving after hearing with their own ears and seeing with their own eyes they didn't believe. Morton was getting more anxious and frustrated. More calls asking how the trick was done sent Morton into one of his fits. Instead of walking out, he started to enter the sequence into the artifact. It's not a trick! Morton shouted. 
After this, there will be no doubt. It wasn't until the symbols all glowed blue that Morton realized that he forgot to record the symbol he pressed to bring the creature through. He couldn't remember which one it was. Morton closed his eyes, trying to calm down. It's a neat trick, but a waste of my time, another man shouted. Morton opened his eyes and pressed one glyph at random. Instead of a creature popping through, all the glyphs on the sphere went dark. The creatures disappeared, and the voices fell silent. Not even Morton could hear them now. After all of his meddling, all the years studying the artifact, he found a way to turn it off when he most needed it working. The audience started to laugh and jeer. Did you break your toy? We're let down. Humbug. Then the room filled with light emanating from the orb. Light gathered around the orb until all that could be seen was a bright glow around it. The audience and Morton shielded their eyes from it, and a terrible, loud, earth-shaking howl came from the sphere. Inside the white light, a dark area appeared, like a window inside the bright circle of light. Another howl, even louder. Then through the portal, a tendril shot out that flailed around until it found one of the attendees, then dragged him through the portal while he screamed and clawed at the desks and floor. The audience started stampeding for the exit. Turn it off! was screamed by more than one person as a giant beast with a head like an octopus, a body resembling a humanoid, and leathery wings on its back came impossibly through the tiny window, growing as it stepped through. As the beast entered the room, it ripped through the ceiling and howled as it stood up and began to pick up and eat one person after another. Following it through the portal was a flurry of grotesque beasts. Morton was spared only long enough to be certain that he had doomed the entire world to these otherworldly beasts. Davin Creed currently is and always will be heavily influenced by Dr. Seuss, Isaac Asimov, Edgar Allan Poe, H.P. Lovecraft, and his own nightmares. Davin writes mostly dark stories. If you like this story, Davin Creed has also been published in Bette Noir's Edgar Allan Poe-inspired anthology called In Poe's Shadow. Thanks to Devin Creed, who narrated today's story, wrote and produced the intro music as well as the soundtrack for today's story, and to Heather Nixon, who wrote and produced the outro music. If you like what we're doing, please leave us a review and share this with your friends. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in a physical copy or a digital copy, you can find Green Eggs and Horror on Amazon, Kindle, and on greeneggsandhorror.com. Green Eggs and Horror is released under a Creative Commons 3.0 attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives U.S. license. That means you can give it away and share it however you like, but don't take credit for it change it or sell it.